0: Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked. This is the third and final episode of our Can versus Machine coverage of the Can Lions Festival of Creativity. It is Friday, Friday lunchtime. It's very hot. We're sat outside our hotel, our taxi's ready to go, and the festival has come to a close.
1: Can Crescendo.
0: Can Crescendo. The sun is setting over the French Riviera and our Can Lion. But in this episode we have a an extra special one because we have three separate interviews for you. We have our first interview with Snapchat delving into their partnership with Disney and their new tools for brands, how they can use social media for both performance and branding. And then we go to speak to Billion Dollar Boy, the influence marketing agency, and we speak to their new CMO who's recently moved from Meta. And obviously there's been a lot of movements at Meta. Snapchat is one that also picks up a lot of people from the big tech companies like Meta and Google.
1: Yep, and I was at Meta Beach as well on Thursday, which is a very nice beach in, in Cannes, as you'd imagine. And um, funnily enough, uh, they had a big big talk with some some brands using their latest tools, and uh, someone from Ulta was talking about branded performance, and that seems to be a bit of a theme at Cannes. Everyone's talking about the merger between the two. And that also led on to the best event at Cannes Lion this year, which was the PMW. Round table, wasn't it, Lucy?
0: <laughs> I mean, I unfortunately didn't get the invite because I was I was recording well, it elsewhere. It was
1: very exclusive, Lucy, I'm afraid. The
0: participants of the round table, it was an impressive list, but I think they had also pretty impressive b- budgets around the table as well. There was a lot of money
1: on the table, a lot of marketing power in that room, and some great marketing minds in that room as well. We had Merlin Entertainments, EY, Confuse.com, which um, and a whole bunch of, bunch of other brands, including TikTok, were there and Scene Connects and BrightBid, And it was, I was just amazed. There's like a whole bunch of really smart marketing minds all in one room, bouncing off each other. I just kind of like sat back and watched a really interesting debate about marketing metrics measurement. But it was, it was super interesting. And you'll have to stay tuned to PMW to get the full write-up of that one.
0: Can you give us a, a hint or a flavor about your favorite part from the roundtable? What's your biggest takeaway?
1: Um, well, the, the the ins and outs of all the metrics and the way way people are using budgets and and them um, using me, um, MMM versus different types of marketing measurement was really interesting, but. The guy from Confused.com gave me a lot of clarity, which I found quite ironic because he he talks he revealed something to me, which I really should know as editor of performance marketing <laughs> world, which is the, the, the alleged origin of the words performance marketing came from Google to justify all their ad products so that everything else that wasn't performance marketing was outside of Google's range and wasn't therefore performing. But it seems that they are having a second thoughts about that because the branding halo effect also has an impact. And the, uh, the whole team, were, the whole uh, panel were... Talking, I found that really interesting, and uh, I think that was a the general theme that the two are really merging, and it's they shouldn't be siloed off as much as people often do.
0: No, absolutely, and I think the presence of so many ad tech, well, yachts as we spoke about in the last episode, the you know the increased presence of, of presence of technology and ad tech companies at Cannes Lion uh, kind of you know um, represents that, and my best bet actually of. Uh, the last couple of days was my interview with John Evans, who has come on the podcast before. We love John Evans. We do love John Evans. He's the host of Uncensored CMO and CCO at System One, and he has spoken to some of the biggest, some of the most impressive names yes, on the he delegate w- he list was on yeah, I
1: saw his links. He was with Rory Sutherland and um, what's his name, Rob Mayhew. He just gets around everywhere. So
0: Martin Sorrell, just so you Martin, know, a yes. few, just a few names that are banging about. But he was giving us his rundown on. What he would like to change about Canline, because being a festival of creativity, he questioned where a lot of the creative agencies were, because there were a few, but it was the massive ones, the big ones with the huge budgets. So where's the space for the smaller ones, the independent agencies?
1: Absolutely, it really should. There should be a bit more inclusivity both in on the on the beaches and, and in the agencies, I think. I, I personally would have just liked to have seen, there's a lot of a lot of screens around the palais and you wouldn't have really been aware of what was winning if you weren't inside the palais. And that's, as you observed, uh, or was it John Evans observed, that it's quite an expensive entry point to get into that palais. So you might not even be aware who is winning.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he told me that in his interview with Sir Martin Sorrell, Uh, Even Sir Martin said this festival is far too expensive. So if he says it, then imagine how the rest of us. He is a bit
1: strapped for cash. Yeah, (laughs) I'm hearing.
0: Um, Well, anyway, without further ado, let's hear our first interview with Fintan Gillespie from Snapchat. Hello and welcome to the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast. Today we are joined by Fintan Gillespie, Director of Large Client Solutions at Snap. Welcome Fintan, how are you doing today?
2: Pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: Well here we are in in basking in the sun, you're actually sensibly in the shade. Yeah, well, um, we had to turn
2: the fan off because yeah. we're, we're doing a podcast. I know, so, so we're
0: going to make <laughs> this nice and quick. Before we start <laughs> melting
2: into the bench that we're sitting on. Love it.
0: But it's I'm excited to be speaking to Snap at this point in time because Snapchat yeah. is going through a massive rebirth. I think it's yes, fair to say indeed. at the moment you've got a new focus on creators. You're you're growing Q and Q. Yeah. So and, and I think I, I said this on Monday when we watched your panel press briefing on Monday. What I find so exciting about it is everyone's copying TikTok and the kind of influence it's had on formats, but Snapchat stayed quite true to its roots and does something quite different because the users are expecting a different experience from the platform,
2: I think it's fair to say. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You know, we were just talking uh, before, like it was only 2015 when Evan, our founder, came down here and launched vertical video ads. And Mm. don't forget that Snap launched user stories, right? We were the first... To launch that product, and when Evan came down here, he got a sort of mixed reception in 2016 to vertical video ads because a lot of people were like, "Look, we'll tilt, tilt our uh, phone to the side," and um, you know, fast forward today, and it, vertical video is the norm. Every advertiser has vertical video assets to use, right? So that's like what Snap is all about, it's about the innovation, it's about the bleeding edge, uh, it's about bringing new features and products into the market, delighting our users every day, and creating a really happy environment, a playful environment. So when we research our users, about how they feel about social media, Snap is regarded as the happiest place. Uh, and it's happy because it's raw, it's playful, we've added all the augmented reality lenses and filters that you've obviously had fun playing with in your time here this week. Um, and that's a great place for advertising because people are more responsive to advertising when they're happy and also when they're with their close friends and family who they trust the most when it comes to making decisions on what they purchase and, uh, and the services that they buy. So.
0: And remind me of the, of the stat that I wrote down on Monday. Was it 92% of... Snapchat users are happy whilst they're using the app. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm.
2: And that is it. Like, you think about it when you play, like, you've played with some of the, like, peeping rainbow yeah, like, yeah, lenses yeah. and the puppy ears. Everyone remembers those, right? Mm. And we're sitting in front here of the Malmaison in the Croisette in Cannes, and we have this incredible museum experience in partnership with... Disney celebrating 100 years of creativity in in Disney and you know what we've tried to do here is bring that magic of the Disney brand and marry it with what we're doing with augmented reality and you can walk around here and go into each room which is designed like one of the movies I love the avatar one is my favorite Mm, go in there and stand in front of a mirror be the avatar character point your phone at the ground the avatar world comes to life around you and that is just a magic experience. You can't not but smile when you're in there, like playing around with some of Disney's incredible IP, augmented by us.
0: That, I mean, magic is completely the right word. I um, Me and my editor came and we became avatars ourselves. Yeah. And you know, people say, oh, Snapchat, it's, a, it's an app for the younger generations, for Gen Z. But yeah. there we are, enjoying having it. Having a blast. Having a blast, <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
2: That's yeah, great. Well, actually, like our our users, uh, just on our users. So I think there is a big misconception about our audience. Like the reality is that like 80% of our audience is over 18 now, and the fastest growing segments are the older segments. Actually, when you think about friends and family, yes, of course, we've started in younger users, and that's what the the platform is well known for. But now parents want to chat with their kids, and their kids won't respond to them if they're uh, not on Snapchat. So we're seeing this big trend. And, you know, when you're in Cannes talking to CMOs, those who have teenage kids know exactly what's up, you know? (laughs) And uh, so we're, we're quite proud of that, that we're actually bringing family units closer together through the platform as well.
0: We should quickly mention, actually, the partnership with Disney. I think it's probably one of the most exciting collaborations that is yeah. here at Cannes. I mean, yeah. when did that begin and how, how did it feel to start that, that collaboration together? Yeah, well, we,
2: you know, Disney's a very close partner of Snap uh, and we partner with them on many of their title releases and to bring the magic of Disney IP for film releases. So, you know, what better way to immerse yourself in a film than running an advertising campaign on Snapchat where you can literally turn yourself into the character. And as part of that partnership, we realized that Disney wanted to bring a sort of more real world experience to celebrate 100 years, uh, which started actually in London and has now evolved to multiple cities. And we've brought it here because it's just such a magic partnership. It's such a wonderful brand to partner with when it comes to creativity and magic and delighting users.
0: And and yeah, we use the word magic a lot, but we also use the word real a lot when we talk about Snap. Um, And I'd like to, because we are having this chat to talk about how data feeds creativity and particularly how can it be used to unlock social media. And so my first question I'd like to ask you is what does modern creativity look like in 2023 and how is the relationship between creativity and technology changing?
2: yeah well I, I think like going back to the camera and going back to our history, and the, uh, as I said, the the puking rainbows that everyone remembers, like obviously that is super fun and playful, but we you know we we're, we're also want to solve business need, right we think about performance marketing world and e-commerce being a really key part of that. e-commerce today is somewhat broken, uh, and the reason it's broken is because when you're going and experiencing something online and trying to buy something online, you're, you're scrolling through items of clothing. Or footwear or whatever the item is on models, right? Or seeing a photo. You can't get a true sense of how that's going to look on you, right? Uh, whereas if you go into Nike's flagship store on Oxford or Regent Street, you can try something on, and you know, they've obviously much higher conversion rate in the in the Regent Street flagship than anyone would have online. And so that's something that we believe the camera can can go a long way to alleviate and fix, right? So it's the technology that we've done, we've built now, uh, has sort of evolved from the cute, fun, playful areas to actually utility benefit. So today you can go on to the Snapchat app and you can put a pair of Gucci shoes on you virtually, try them on, see how they look on your feet, and then go and click on a link to buy them. And we're serving those advertisements in, into our users all of the time. So I think when it comes to e-commerce, that's something very differentiated. Uh, and the evidence suggests, uh, from work that we're doing with uh, e-commerce on a suite of tools we've launched called AR Enterprise Services, suggests that Conversion rates massively lift when a user is exposed to augmented reality try on on the path to purchase. Add to cart rate jumps and also return rate declines, right? And these are all intrinsic problems with e commerce today, right? You've got chronic problems with returns in the industry. You probably been in a similar situation to me where it's just a nightmare to find when the post office is open down the road and having inter- it's just not great right but what we're seeing actually is that the tech that we're building through the camera through try on through personalization can alleviate that and i think that is something that's very powerful in an industry that's quite stretched right now and in the uk economy that's quite stretched so any marginal or meaningful benefits that you can make to add to car improvements and conversion rate reduction in return rates can increase profitability for retail and that's really where we're like super focused right now.
0: And there's a couple of things you mentioned there which have a really positive impact on people as well. So the AR try-ons yeah. are um, really good for accessibility. They're opening, you know, people that can't get into the store, yeah. you know, can, you know, access what the shoes going to look like, what this shade of makeup, whatever it is, which Absolutely. I think is a really positive thing. Yeah. And the return rates, again, is something that everyone needs to uh, diminish, mainly because of the environment. So and think
2: about it, like pre-COVID, you would go in and try on lipstick, and, you know, hundreds of other people would have tried on oh, that okay. used the same lipstick. <laughs> like, it's crazy how things have moved on. So actually, what we're doing now is building mirror technology that's going to go in. It uses, as you've probably seen, you've, you've been at um, the Vogue exhibition, and Disney uses our Disney partnership uses the same tech. So essentially, what we're doing with mirrors is we're, we're using the same camera technology that's in Snapchat, but putting it on a mirror in front of you. So think about the retail environment where you can walk up to a mirror and try stuff on virtually. And I think accessibility, exactly to your point, um, you say about uh, nervousness of going into physical retail, particularly in luxury, Gen Zers get really nervous because ultimately, Gen Zers are really engaged with luxury, but they're having to save a lot longer to buy that one piece and they mix and match luxury with high street and that's just the way they are, right? But it can be a very intimidating experience going into a, a luxury retail um, store. Whereas now, you know, the reason look, the luxury industry is leaning into this technology with Snapchat is because it allows people to do that in the safety of their own home or wherever they may be, they can place that handbag, that beautiful Burberry handbag, in. in front of them and, and play around with it get a feel of the texture zoom in zoom out like literally hold it virtually uh, and that's something that's very differentiated
0: it's allowing more people to be able to engage with the brand which at the end of the day
2: is is what matters is right? what matters yeah
0: and so kind of before we move on how, how do you use data as well as technology to feed creativity what's the data piece this? yeah well
2: I mean yeah you've you heard a lot in our in our brief earlier in the week but we put a lot of work into solving uh, all of the key areas for performance marketing, like performance marketing is a key part of what Snapchat is is, is focused on. Um, So a lot of the intrinsic work that we've been doing on the platform recently is to make sure that we align to customers' key KPIs and how they measure and where they measure when it comes to performance marketing. So um, one example of that is is work that we've been doing to optimize our campaigns to uh, web analytics tracking tools such as Google Analytics or Adobe. so what matters there is 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 optimizing to the click and so we've sort of rebuilt our whole uh, advertising stack and given uh advertisers the option to optimize to only click only events uh which therefore minimizes the discrepancy they see between our ads manager tooling and a Google Analytics where they might report their business on and ultimately is driving massive improvements in performance because we're just optimizing to how a customer measures. So that's one example. I think another great example here at Can is the work that we've been doing in AI. So we've built a tool called My AI. We've essentially a chatbot within a Chat, which is the most heavily used part of Snapchat. And essentially with my AI, you can personalize your little chatbot. You can ask any questions about the world. You have real engagement. And we've had over 150 million Snapchat users play with my AI already, which means from a distribution perspective, it's one of the, you know, the largest used generative AI chatbots out there in the world right? And it's right there at the top of Snapchat. And we've released some amazing insights on the usage and what our Snapchat audience is talking to my AI about. Because ultimately, they're treating it like a real friend. They're not just asking about, like, how do I tell a joke to one of my friends or give me dating tips? They're also asking about, like...
0: I'd be scared to know what it responded to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's actually quite surprisingly good. Uh, it actually... We also had things like 60 million queries to my AI about auto. Right? and auto is a category again you think about the misconception of the snap audience uh, it's very surprising to see that the snapchat audience really cares about auto and they're asking all these questions or multiple million about beauty right mm-hmm. uh, so asking about like beauty try on and things like that and now we're actually, what we're actually introducing in my AI is sponsored links so if it's a commercial intent focused query we're actually giving a link out and uh, it's an advertising link out um, powered by some of our search partners that allows users to go off and, and complete a transaction once they've had that conversation. But not only that, in the direct world, the data that we're gathering is now going to inform some of the interest categories that we have across our stack. So for example, in auto, we have an auto interest category. So an auto advertiser can now target an auto audience. And that auto audience was historically based on how users engaged with auto advertising on Snap or if they follow F1. But now we can use additional signals from my AI to power that even more and drive Auto intent, and for performance marketing intent is the most important thing. So, we're, like, we're quite excited about the evolution of this AI stack that we're building and how that can power up our platform in the future.
1: Brilliant,
0: thank you very much. We've spoken a bit about the the collaboration that you know Snapchat has with Disney. And you know it's, it's an impressive it's an impressive place as we're walking con- across the Crozet you yeah. can't really miss it and it is a lot of fun and it's open to the public as well isn't it It is so- yeah and
2: that's an important part of our presence in Cam. We want people to come in. Uh, Scott Galloway was here yesterday with his wife and his son and it's just amazing to watch people go around and see it all, across all different ages. So
0: and. Th- That makes me want to ask, what is so exciting about Snap right now? Because I think it's fair to say in the last year, a lot has happened. I think you were saying earlier in the first six months of this year, a lot has happened. Yeah. But why should marketers be interested?
2: I think we're growing in many different areas, right? So like our community growth continues to be really strong. Uh, We've just uh, hit, hit the milestone of three quarters of a billion users on a monthly active user basis, but really strong growth in Northern Europe, uh, in the Middle East, in India, where we have over 200 million monthly active users. So I think the community growth is really critical because it sort of underpins everything that we're doing. I think other investments that I'm personally really interested in is in in the sort of creator economy. So we've we've started to build a home properly for creators on the platform uh, and we're getting it right this time now. And it's sort of the biggest secret in the creator economy right now is that creators are making, growing their communities. Not only that, we've given them through the Creator Mid-Roll Program, a program where we rev, share, advertising, place in their stories, a way to actually make a living from Snapchat. And that's super powerful, uh, and we have creators, some creators are posting up to 200 times a day on Snap, uh, and and they find it differentiated because another platforms it's all about the polish you know it's about that like curating a long 10 minute video or you know the polish of the photo shoot and making sure you look you know your perfect self whereas on snap what creators are telling us is that they feel closer to their community because what they're doing is actually sharing the stream of their daily life just like Snapchat users share on their stories and they're finding that the engagement is just completely different So they're finding an edge in a different way And I think that's something that's really interesting one to watch and on the advertising side We're going to do a lot of work to uh, through the snapchat collaboration studio a way to connect creators with Advertisers, so if you want to have a creator front an advertisement, which is really important on, on on snapchat Or if you want to boost something that's already happened by sponsoring it um, we're creating all of that tooling Which I think is, is definitely one to watch
0: compared to other platforms the creators aren't too different from the users the content's incredibly similar which is why um i think people enjoy seeing the creator content because it just feels like you're seeing like you said a friend you're being invited into their private life
2: exactly right yeah yeah yeah.
0: and to end on this is a question i like to ask all the unlocked guests which is (laughs) what is getting your attention in the industry right now
2: well, I couldn't, I have to jump on the attention word because attention is a big part of what we're talking about to the industry. Uh, we've done some great work with the likes of IPG uh, called the Attention Economy Research. And we're basically looking at like, there's so many options in digital advertising today, right? Um, but I think there's a new currency being created at the moment around attention. Uh, so, around literally the time you're spending with advertising. And we're quite proud of the fact that when you look at uh, all of the advertising on Snapchat, in terms of attentive seconds. We've got a platform in AR that literally allows brands to put their brand experience on a user and have them play with it for an average of eight seconds. right? And on a mobile social app, that is incredibly powerful. So I think what we're going to see in the industry is is this pivot, and particularly in performance marketing, one of the bigger challenges some of the platform privacy changes is moving up the funnel into mid funnel. And I think with augmented reality try on some of the areas that we've talked about, driving consideration through attention and playing with Physical item virtually is something that I think is underappreciated in the industry, but I think the industry is going to evolve into that space.
0: Well, brilliant. Thank you very much. That was incredibly interesting and great to hear about what Snap's doing at Can, but behind behind the walls of Snap as well. So thank you very much, Vinton. For yeah, real pleasure. On thank you so much. We will now hear from John Evans, host of the Uncensored CMO podcast and CCO of System One. So I'm sat here with John Evans. Chief Customer Officer at System One and host of the Uncensored CMO podcast. Great to have you here, John.
3: It's great to be here. I I mean, I can't imagine a better setting to have this conversation.
0: I know, we're looking out, we can see the... uh the glimmer of the white yachts beneath but then the old town on the hill above it is it's probably my the best podcast setting i've ever had i don't know about you
3: the the, the helicopters dropping in dropping people off mm, you know yeah we're just we're just short of a glass of rose i think that would complete the vibe would, i know
0: it? but we're sat here in the press center so it's just coffee it's and a bit water. serious <laughs> i know it's quite serious all these proper press people inside and here we are I'm, joking around this, is, the this is this
3: is the first time i've ever had a press pass i, I feel like i've entered a world i didn't know existed
0: mm, i know yes we had a press conference yesterday and that felt very serious yeah. I was asking a silly question about, you know, what's your favorite one?
3: Well <laughs> that's what you that's, that's kind of well, that's what, what people want about, to know this, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, But anyway, let's hear a bit bit more about what you've been up to at Cannes. I know you've been very busy speaking to just a small number of small advertising people. (laughs) Yes, I know.
3: (laughs) I've made the mistake. You see, first year I came to Cannes, I had no agenda. Uh, Mm -hmm. Literally just rented somewhere and just went went wherever, blagged my way into parties, met who I met. And it was was very magical. Uh, I think I've gone to the opposite extreme now and booked myself up for the entire week. (laughs) So it's it's now suddenly feeling a bit too much like work and not enough rosé being drunk. Anyway, I've managed to put myself up with some amazing guests all week. And I have to say, I've been working with the lovely people at Walk, who have very, very kindly given me a podcast studio. Um, and they even got me a, a little stage to interview Sir Martin Sorrell live, um, which was quite fun. And then I'll be doing a few more sort of more uncensored episodes, shall we say, mm-hmm. with, with you know grabbing a, you know, a few people that I know well that will have an opinion or two to share with the audience.
0: Yeah, have a glass of rosé and let's really uncensor let's, the CEO. I know, <laughs> I know.
3: Exactly. I, I, in fact, there's, there's cans of rosé around that I've managed to find, so I've popped mm-hmm. those into the episode. So I've always find it helps, actually.
0: I think it's incredibly beneficial for a podcast. It is. What are some, you know... There's a lot of big people here. I've been bumping into, I saw some Martin Sorrell, Rob Mayhew, who I know you're speaking oh, to as Rob well. Oh, Rob
3: Mayhew, the legend. And the thing with Rob Mayhew is he was actually wearing his jumper in 30 degree heat. I mean, the guys, although I did see him the next day and he'd taken it off. So I think he kind of, he lasted a day. <laughs> so.
0: Gosh, yeah, it's way too hot for that.
3: But he's quite funny because he is like, he is like his persona in real life. And in fact, he said he said we were chatting away and we were just uh, planning a bit of a, a yeah a piss take of podcasters. But I thought like, I might as well you know I might as well t- do a parody of our industry mm. you know. And he said to me he always he always mentions Rory Sutherland in his sketches and stuff, but he's never met him. And then literally, as he said that, Rory pops up like behind us. And I'm like this is this was always planned, you know. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. yes. Are you sp- spoken to some of the biggest people in the industry. What is your perception of CAN this year? And what are the biggest things that you've noticed?
3: Oh, I think it's a bit of an interesting one, actually, this year. There's obviously one topic that everyone's talking about, and it just seems that there's always something, isn't there? Like mm. last year, it was purpose. Mm-hmm. Or actually, you no, know, last year was the economy and world, you know, world events. The year before that, it was purpose. This year, it's AI. And you can't have a conversation going, how is AI going to transform our industry? And will we have a job next year? Kind of thing. And um, everyone's got a different view, you know. Um, Sir so Martin, for example, you know, talked me through five major impacts. AI will transform productivity and it will, you know, change creative and it will change media planning and that sort of thing, you know. He clearly sees it as uh, almost like the internet being invented. You know, as far as mm-hmm. he's concerned, you know, things will never be the same. And he said, we always underestimate the impact of change when it happens sort of thing. And he, you know, he looked back over his career and said, I wish I'd spotted the internet before it happened and took it more seriously than I did. So, you, you know, you've got his point of view on one hand and then you've got a lot of other people that think it's complete nonsense and it's like the next NFT and, yeah. you know, it'll, or the next metaverse and it will be the biggest hype and this time next year will be, you and I will be sat here having this conversation. We'll be talking about something completely different.
0: Completely different. And you're right, it has dominated conversation so much that it's just become blind to everyone now we need a, we need a
3: charity box like you know one pound goes to orphans every every, every time, time, time it gets mentioned you know. I
0: completely yeah, actually yeah, yeah. I'll make
3: it a million pounds actually because yeah, there's yeah, enough looking, money looking around here. here I know I'll put a quid but um <laughs> yeah, we'll do the quids and then, yeah.
0: but yeah I mean I was speaking to someone yesterday who he was a software engineer and a lawyer so he advises the government on their legal issues with tech And he was saying all the talks he'd been to, AI has been incorrectly described every single time. And he says, because they never have a software engineer on the panel. So a lot of these workers are talking very broadly about AI. we not really know that what makes sense.
3: About. Do you know what I, I, I was in I was in Rio, recently. Here we are in Canada. I'm dropping in Rio, right? Living the life. This is the this is the dream. <laughs> um, I was at Web Summit in Rio, and uh, I, I was hosting a, 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 the stage for the morning. One of the guest speakers was a woman called Daniela Braga, who owns a company called Defined AI. And, um, so I made the mistake of going, oh, it must be nice to sort of like suddenly be doing something just when it's breaking, right? You know, just when it's about to take off. And she goes, John, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm like, have you? She goes, honestly, I, she, for 19 years, no one has talked about what I do, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, she yeah, goes, yeah. it's a bit like Game of Thrones. It's been winter for 19 years and finally summer's arrived and I've been able to raise money and, and suddenly everyone's talking about it. It's a marketing challenge in a way that's, that's, that that chat GPT has suddenly, uh, made everyone's awareness of AI, and, and that's what's happened, isn't it? It's not that AI has suddenly appeared, you know.
0: And I think it's, it's a trend that people have jumped on, and this is what I learned in the press conference yesterday. The judges were saying, especially in the Creative Data Awards, pretty much all of them used AI, but is the idea AI? Or is there actually an idea?
3: Exactly, I know. And uh, in fact, I, I used AI to come up with my questions for Sir Martin yesterday. Mm. And they were fairly average. In fact, it didn't, it didn't outperform me. I, I'd already anticipated all the questions. <laughs> and, and I was quite like, okay, so it's not better than me yet. Not, not you yet, know, yeah. We've also done, we've tested uh, System 1, we've tested um, AI-generated advertising. And interestingly, and not, well, not surprisingly, AI-generated advertising so far is exactly average. Because what it basically does is it it takes the information from the category and repackages it in the most average, generic way sort of thing. So I think the thing with AI is, you know, what makes creativity so magical is originality, surprise, you know, something unexpected, Um, you know, connecting things together that have never been connected together before. And I think that's not the definition of AI. AI is not, I mean, AI can make things quicker, it can make things cheaper, it can do millions of versions of it it's an efficiency it
0: could, thing at the yeah moment, it feel,
3: exactly that's exactly what it is it's like a tool you know it's just like a it might have been what an excel spreadsheet was 20 years ago you know what i mean it's <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, suddenly yeah. i can you know organize things better and faster and put them in the right place it feels like an excel spreadsheet you know but um i don't think it's going to replace human creativity
0: well no absolutely not but speaking of Creativity, because I don't think we should give any more airtime to AI. It's had enough. Yes, come on, banish it. Right. We've already
3: (laughs) Um, fallen foul. We're already a few quid down to the charity.
0: I know, I know. Well, yeah, it's all for good cause. Speaking of creativity, then, the ad tech presence is bigger than it's ever been at Cannes this year. Are there companies that you expected to have a bigger presence at Cannes?
3: Well, the the obvious one. I mean, again, sorry, I, I'm quoting Sir Martin Sorrell a bit. I, mean, I should really shut up. And but like, you know, he, he was he was complaining, ironically, that um, he you know he he can't afford to be here. It, it, the prices have gone up so much, and this sort of thing, and that ad tech has overtaken basically the, the very purpose of, of can. If you go back 70 years ago, it, it was probably you know, two guys in a glass of rose judging what they thought was a cool cinema ad. You know, and, and now you know, it's, it's all about the technology. And I think that's a shame. Um, it, obviously technology has a massive role to play and it's wonderful actually that media and creative are here together because obviously with you know, two parts of the, uh, of the same coin. But um, it, it's just, if you were to do share a voice, uh, it would definitely be 90%, you know, media and maybe 10% creative. And that's a bit odd, really, because I suppose the question would be, how many people in Cannes have actually gone down and seen the work yeah. in the Palais? Now, I know you have to get an expensive £10,000 pass to get in, right? So that might be a barrier. But, that's the, but even that is part of the problem, right? Is that the creativity is locked away and made very, you know, is kind of contained and not many people see it. And I think we should be watching celebrating the creative because that's the main the main thing or it should be the main thing
0: well absolutely i mean exactly what you just said explains why we as performance marketing world are here because you know maybe you know 10 years ago this wouldn't have been the festival that we'd come and report on but because of the change of the attendance we're now here exploring why why are we here is the kind of question
3: why are we here this is the big question why are we here (laughs) Because it's definitely not the arts and the roses. It's hot on the roses. <laughs> the views decent and the roses the views are
0: cold. Views are fantastic. Because I mean, you, you know, your CCO at System One, which is a data-driven platform. So, what is your stance on the relationship between creativity and data? Is it something that needs to be?
3: Kept together or... Oh, t- completely. It's funny, actually, because, like, you know, if you talk to maybe creative agencies, they fear the data, right? And, and, and they're like, this is destroying our jobs, and it's like, it's, it's a problem. But but actually, the, what we do at System One is the reason we use data is because actually data can tell you what great creativity looks like. And that's why we're passionate about it, because, we, you know, we, we want creativity that works. You know, we want advertising that works, because if it works and you sell more... You know you then you grow, and if you grow, you can spend more and it's and, and so on and, and look as marketers we we are here to deliver a business result and so what we do at System One is basically put a value on creativity both in the short term and long term you know we know it has to work quickly as well as slowly, you know uh, there's no point in kind of going this will work in three years' time you know <laughs> it's like, it's going to work today and tomorrow yeah, yeah, so yeah. um so you know we, we we measure both, but it's amazing I, I think Like so many questions, the answer is both, is that data has an incredible role to play. It can inform you. You can make decisions quickly. It can make what you do better. Um, But it doesn't supplant creativity. It should enable and fuel creativity.
1: Well,
0: talking about rating things as well, the lions. So, you know, people are here to show their wealth and their worth, I think it's fair to say. Yes. So how much, and you said, you know, how many people have actually gone in to see the work? How much people do actually care about the Lions,
3: do you think? Well, the people that win, I think, care a lot. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that mean, yeah. More it, than it, the people it, that don't, definitely. Right, I know,
3: exactly. Whereas, I, I mean, one interesting test is, you know, when you go around to a, a, a creative agency, you know, how, how many Lions and how proudly displayed are they in the reception area mm. sort of thing. So that, that kind of tells you. And I think the interesting thing about that is that it's a strategy It's a strategy for some creative agencies. Some creative agencies decide to win new business, we're going to be the most awarded. And that's a a signal, right? It's it's, it's a signal to the market to say, come here if you want great creativity. Um, I think the challenge is there isn't actually a very good correlation between what wins and what works if I'm going to be controversial. So the joy at System 1 is we get to see what works, right? And we test everything. So we get to see. And actually, controversially, Canline winners are no better or worse than the average ad out there. From a long-term brand-building potential. Now, I have to caveat because I'll I'll get in so much trouble, and you know, (laughs) big fans of Can will kick me under the table. Um, But typically, what gets celebrated and awarded is usually game-changing, high-profile, purpose-led you know, doing things differently, right? And doing things differently doesn't always work in the long term, right? So it's celebrating change, it's celebrating purpose, or, you know, that sort of thing. You know, 10 years ago, Can lines would, would outperform our database massively, hugely. So it just means that what the juries want to celebrate is different today than it was, you know, than it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago is more, what are the big campaigns that everyone's seen that have had a big impact on business and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? These days it's, it's more, well, in fact, a lot of, Winners have actually not actually been aired. I mean, I think this is one of the this is one of the thing, controversial things, isn't it? Is there's there's almost an uh, an industry of award-winning kind of creative, you know, designed to demonstrate creativity, but not necessarily have actually been out there. So that's that that I think is the the, the challenge we have. I mean, I'd you know if I were in charge one day <laughs> one day I'd love to see both because I think there's a role, there's a role for demonstrating the craft and the art and and what's possible. And, you know, purpose has a role, that kind of stuff. But I'd love to see it rooted in, you know, transforming, not just society, but transforming business and showing off the power of our industry to really deliver, you know, business results. I think that'd be cool. Now, again, the FEs are like there to do that as well. So you've got got to draw a balance, right? But but I think bringing effectiveness into the conversation. um, To be fair, big shout out, a little shout out to the the lovely people at Walk, actually, um, who are great. And what they're trying to do is bring a lot more of the science and data and evidence about what works mm. into this festival. And I really admire that. So, um, you know, we've had, you know, Les Burnett, we've got Orlando Wood, we've got Karen nelson fear. I mean, Rory, you know, there's a lot of the great and the good, James Herman's here, a lot of the great and the good of, of, of effectiveness have got a high profile this year. So that that's nice to see.
0: That is good to see, it, especially as, like you said, the winners of the Can Lines, they're impressive and beautiful pieces of work but the ones especially if you refer to the system one uh, rating scale the ones that people love I want to use the go- word goofy kind of the goofy the fun ones you never see kind of appearing no, really in, the, in the Can Lions and so I wanted to ask you what what is your personal favourite bad ad that would never ever win a Can Lion but it wouldn't it would potentially perform well, yes. especially for brand awareness. Yes, totally, like totally.
3: That. Well, I think there's a couple of, couple of really interesting examples here. Now, statistically speaking, the best performing campaign on our database ever is Aldi, the German supermarket with Kevin the carrot, right? Mm-hmm. So an animated carrot, you know, at Christmas, you know, on a journey, doing some very Christmassy things. And, and their brief actually was um, to be better than John Lewis. It's really interesting. <laughs> Literally, they, they is say, that it? Just
0: one sentence. Yeah, it was. It's
3: quite funny because, well, they see. You know, if you're a discount German retailer and you're selling things really cheap, your problem is how do you communicate quality? Because the barrier to going into an Audi is you're not going to think the products very good because it's so cheap, right? Ironically, John Lewis and Waitress have the opposite problem. Is everyone knows it's great quality, they assume it's going to be very expensive. So what you see is they communicate. Look, we're surprisingly good value, you know? <laughs> and then and then what Aldi do is go, oh look, we're actually good quality. Anyway, um, so their strategy was uh, how do we how do we outdo John Lewis? And so their brief was make a John Lewis ad. And um, but what they what they wanted to do was was also create something that was consistent over time. And this was what was clever about it. This is why it won't win an award, because what they do is they they don't create something new and surprising and different every year, which is what John Lewis used to do. They've cr- they've created this character in Kevin. They've created you know they've got a voiceover in Jim Broadbent. They've got a you know a, a, a story that changes every year but feels familiar. And they've stuck consistently to something that absolutely works. And if you if you to read their um, IPA gold-winning effectiveness case study, what's amazing about that is that 70%, I think 70% of the growth in number of customers that come through the door is down to that campaign. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, the case study is just knockout in terms of its business results. Now, I, I know for sure that, that we won't be seeing that here but again that's not for here right that that's that's for fes and in fact they've won i think they've won the grand prix at fe 3 years in a row they they've been the top of our scoring system 4 years in a row the only the only advertiser ever to get five stars four years in a row which is really 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 hard achievement but it's because they know what they're doing it's not happened by accident so they uh, what they do bless them is they um they test all their creative right from the script like the very earliest stage Mm -hmm. and they go by this is brilliant use of data so they have amazing creative ideas they test them they look at the data and go well which jokes work which music works? Which voiceover works? Which ending works? You know, where do we have the jeopardy? You know, are we creating the right emotion? And it's amazing that their use of data is incredible. And they use it all the way through creative process. So they know they're going to get a 5.9 star before they get it. So they, they've done the work to, to guarantee. You see, that, That's their little secret.
4: Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, it's a great secret to have. It's a great tool to have.
3: I've just revealed it. But anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, the other thing I'd say is I I think this festival is about timing. Because um, we te- last week we tested the titanium shortlist that came out. And thought, oh, this is interesting. Let's see what the public think of the titanium shortlist. You know, the best, the best, the best, the best type of thing. And it was an amazing ad that won from Apple. And it's... um. It tells the story of some you know, disabled people. It really moved me and uh, I thought it was actually fantastic. And it scored four and a half stars, so pretty decent score. And what was interesting about it is five years ago, the best scoring ad on our database at the time, this is before Kevin the Carrot, was a Microsoft ad with a disabled boy using their brand new games controller that they created to help disabled people play online. And I mean, there's only two or three times I've ever cried watching an ad, but that was one time because... I saw this dad and he, he, he was seeing his son suddenly come to life because he was able to do a game that, you know, that he hadn't been able to play before. And he, he said this line like, he's not disabled when he's playing and I just thought, oh my God! Can you imagine that feeling as a parent, where suddenly you see your son doing something they'd never been asked to do before? I just really got me. I mean, maybe as a dad as well. Things like that, you know. Once you have kids, suddenly everything gets more emotional. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it was a real dad kind of, oh God, oh God I'm going to cry now. Um, but what was interesting about that that ad is it was best performing ad on our database, and I'm pretty sure it's not one of Can. But this year, the Apple one is a titanium. So again, this is before we really got into purpose at Can. Mm-hmm. You see, so I think. Probably there's an element of kind of anticipating what the trend will be, and uh,
1: well,
0: timing's everything. It. Timing is it's everything. Absolutely everything. Yes. I was speaking to someone yesterday about the new Apple Vision Pro, and the excitement that's around it. There's, I think, there's very little bad press about it, apart from the price point. Because obviously, Google Glass la- launched, and it wasn't totally dissimilar, but it was far too early. Um, and people I was speaking to yesterday, Google Glass, they was, they were saying it was it was the perfect thing, but it was you know ten years before its time. And with the Apple Vision Pro, it's an interesting balance, whether it's a tool for connection or a tool for separation, like you were saying. Because a lot of people say, and I hate to go back to bloody AI, but people say that, you know, the use of technology like AI, never let a human do a job that a machine can do better, basically. If you let technology do that kind of stuff, do the number crunching, do the, the organizational things, the efficiency things, it can leave people to spend more time on the creative and things like that. I
3: think it's about the use case. I, I, I remember when Google Glass came out, I thought the best use case was uh, surgeons in surgery needing yeah, specific yeah, yeah. information about how to, you know, complete the surgery there and then. And you could just go, how do I, you know, connect this aorta together or whatever. Oh, whatever God, imagine
0: do. being on the table when someone's Yeah, <laughs> really I know, I that. know. Exactly. <laughs> you know.
3: But, but you just think, you know, getting the right information at the right time in a specific situation delivered to you in that kind of way is pretty mind blowing right so i think it, a lot of it comes in the case um my funniest uh, got the timing wrong story is you have to go back to 2013 right so it takes take 10 years ago um i did it did a keynote speech at the european packaging conference i know it's like, you see just to prove that i can do the non glamorous stuff as well right <laughs> european packaging conference my presentation was the qr code is dead because QR codes have become a thing. They've become a fad. Like literally everyone was going QR code crazy on their yeah, packaging yeah, yeah. for like about a year. And I did the whole, the QR code is dead. And basically <laughs> it was being replaced by augmented reality. And I, I just experimented with it. I launched the world's first augmented reality soft drink, right? And so I was very proud of myself. So, and honestly, I blew everyone away. They were like, got a really great reception to it. And I was like, and so for the last 10 years, I've thought, damn, I, you know, damn, I was good. You know, the QR code was dead. And then the bloody pandemic happens. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about use QR. cases, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. it it's it's like suddenly you don't want to touch the, the menu, there's a QR code and it's stuck.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember in our previous... Uh, Episode we had together, you spoke about some really bad timing with De Serrano. I've
3: got a track record of bad timing, I have to say. <laughs> well, it's done well <laughs> it's, why it's, so why, so far. it's why I don't own a yacht down here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see all these yachts actually, whilst we're you know, touching on the subject. They're all ad techs. And totally. It, I mean, I, Robin and I were saying this is uh, the can display of our inbox. Yes. It's our email inbox. But instead of a subject
3: line, it's just a big old yacht. I, I, I feel a bit like. Can is like LinkedIn in real life. I don't know about you. I've I've been sort of oh, so you're you're the person I know on LinkedIn, and oh, so yeah, yeah, you're that person I follow. And Mm.
0: for next year, when you inevitably come back and speak to the top big people again, what are the changes you'd like to see from what's happened? What you've noticed here?
3: Yeah, totally. There's lots of things I'd love to see. Um, I'd love to see more accessibility. Um, I know I know it's an obvious thing to say, but this is. A really expensive festival and I, I wonder where the independent agencies are where are the young creatives where where are the brands that had no budget I'd love to see because you know the more money you have the more creative quote-unquote you could be right or you, you can afford to do bold things you can afford to hire the best talent in the world you can afford to do something you know that if it goes wrong it doesn't matter if you're a small brand and you've got no budget it has to work and you have to be more creative and so i i just think that our definition of creativity is too narrow and i'd like to broaden the definition of creativity in two ways i think one in terms of like independent you know small budget challenger brands the un- the things that aren't seen because if you could elevate that creativity i think we'd all learn something you know we, we, we'd go we'd learn something surprising we'd learn something transformational and i think the best creativity is in the most challenging of circumstances as well so i'd love to see that
0: well, thank you very much, John, for joining the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast.
3: Absolute pleasure.
0: And now we will hear the new CMO of influence marketing agency, Billion Dollar Boy.
4: Hi, I'm Becky Owen. I am CMO of Billion Dollar Boy. Should we do, do some scene setting of where we're sat? We are sat on the closet.
0: Uh, Yeah, Playing Balls, Billion Dollar Boy. There's music playing pretty loudly in the background. It's coming to a close. We're
4: opposite the port. The sun is
0: setting. It's beautiful. And so, yeah, I wanted to ask you very simply then, you've just joined Billion Dollar Boy. You've been here three months. three months. You've moved from Meta. How's it been in the first three months?
4: Do you know what? It's been everything I thought it was going to be and nothing of what I thought it was going to be. You don't realise... The freedom that you have outside. Meta is, was such a great place to be. I was there for almost five years. But you it's a big company. And they know this. And so to do anything, it's like, you know, there's a lot of departments. And there's a lot of innovation. But um, being a billion-dollar boy, the aspiration, ambition, that's how they got me. Uh, you have an idea. And if they get it, they're like, okay, let's do it tomorrow. So it's great because all of a sudden you feel so fueled your imagination is fueled then you're also like oh do we do we need to speak to anyone about this do we need to check but um so the ambition is exciting and a little nerve-wracking at times but i love it but i
0: think that's so important especially for you know a smaller company you you you've got to break the boundaries that's yes. exactly you can't be safe
4: yes and I, that's exactly what i wanted i was like it's time like i did disney i did meta so it's time to be a little bit more rebellious they got me, I mean, they were, I hired them all the time at Meta and when they told me their ambition and how they want to be brave and change things and mix things up, that's how they kind of excited me and they mean it in a really good way. What is your top of mind
0: in influencer marketing? What is getting the, your most attention at the moment?
4: I would say, this is a, my passion. So I always say I love and hate this industry in equal measure and I think the best people in influencer marketing or creator marketing do because you hate things so you want to change things and the love of it is what drives you to change things. So my passion is really about redefining what is an influencer. I think it's a very outdated term. It's, I don't know, like 12 years old. Um, So I'm very much trying to look at what is an influencer and I, I think of them as independent content makers. It's anyone that can change the world their, their online profile is their digital portfolio they're digitally native they are shaping our experiences and they're changing the power dynamic so i think on top of mind is how do we understand who these individuals are because i think we're still a little naive with the word influencer And personality led influencers, but what about world builders and AI creators? So, this is my new thing AI creators is a burgeoning community. They're they're influencers, but they're learning AI, and it's fascinating.
0: I think we've definitely seen the definition of what an influencer is change. And uh, recently, I've had Scott Guthrie on the podcast. Ah, I love
4: Scott. We love
0: Scott. He's fantastic. And he's spoken many a time about uh, the misconceptions of influencer marketing and the conflation of. Creators and influencers and reality TV stars. Oh, exactly. He knows it. Yeah. And so I've been through a few sessions and things here at Cannes and creators, it must be in my top three topics that That's I've heard. Wild. It's been here so much. So what is un- unavoidable about creative marketing for brands? Why should brands be taking this channel and jumping Great straight question. into it? Do
4: you know what? So I've been coming to Cannes for like six, seven years. This year, it's the most dominant and influencers have ever been. I think it's... I heard this amazing speech. I was in South by Southwest. Someone at L'Oreal said it, but I'm going to steal it. He <laughs> said...
0: We'll cut that out. You said it. Yeah, I said
4: it. This is my term. Um, he said, brands are welcome in spaces. Advertising is not. In community spaces. So we have become so community dominant. The power is in the individual now. And brands are really struggling about like with how do they turn up because they're not welcome. Advertising is no longer welcome here. And it's influencers and creators are how they become welcome in these spaces that are led by the individual. Back in the day, it was a very famous fashion magazine could tell us how we wear our hair, how we should wear our lipstick. Because they, that was the power dynamic. Now you have total freedom, total communities, and they're powerful. So I think it's a little bit, I think, brands are nervous because like, how do they have the right influence? How do they maintain influence? And it literally is they have to now work with them. And it's it's the most beautiful thing because I also think it's democratizing everything. Mm, absolutely and
0: then just before we close off for the day.
4: I, I love we're... that as the sun's setting. We as close the off sun the day, is setting. I wish everyone could see us.
0: I know it's a shame because people <laughs> will be listening to this probably maybe at 8am in the morning on their way to work or something. But we're here... having a horrible time. So before we close off, what are your concerns for the industry? What is something that you'd like to change in your new role as CMO at The Dollar Boy?
4: I think there is Um, Do you know what? This is what I always say. It's a billion-dollar industry, influencer marketing. The creator economy, Goldman Sachs, came out and said it's going to be half a trillion in X amount of years. I don't know any other industry that is driving so much revenue but isn't respected by its advertising peers. And there is still a little bit of belittling and disrespect. And I think specifically around creators that are changing the world, I think we really like to look at the... So my colleague calls it the Daily Mail effect. We like to say bad things about influencer models and et cetera. But there are creators that are shaping and making the world better for all of us. So if I could change one thing, it's the respect that's placed on this industry and the individuals that because they're on their own. They're doing this, that they're leading these missions by themselves. They don't have big corporations behind them. They're doing because they care. So the one thing is like changing that respect dynamic. It's a billion-dollar industry. It's time to. Let it thrive. Absolutely. And I think
0: that comes from brands as well. Mm. Those that are nervous to jump in, yeah. What, if you could give a sentence of advice.
4: Ooh. To those that are nervous to jump in. Okay. That, that,
0: that, like, as you say, don't give it the respect okay, it deserves. Okay, well,
4: this is what I always say. It's not the best advice, and I said it all the time when I was at Meta, so, so I consulted many brands. You just you get it wrong in small doses. Because the fear is, what well, if we get it wrong, the community is going to come to us you kind of have to relax a little because your brand has its own identity spend some time building relationships with the right talent be agile don't go big too soon experiment have baby steps but also just relax because the reality is you have to uncover your own identity because that's what communities want communities know immediately if you're copying someone else's identity and this is the kind of the blessing and the curse right because it's so scary it as sony brand saying but Becky, we can't risk being agile because we feel like we're on this global stage. So just try and find a way that you can be experimental and forgive yourself before you supercharge it. Because then you uncover your own identity, you uncover the creators that are right for you, um, and just be nice to yourself, honestly.
0: No, I think that's really good advice, but also just before we finish, I mean, we will finish one yeah. day. It reminds me of something that I hear from a lot of creators, from a lot of brands and agencies as well. The measurement side of things, people are measuring the wrong things. Ah, yes. Follow a count is not ah. the metric you should be going no, by. No,
4: absolutely not. So we actually, again, this is like my meta brain. There are metrics that are great litmus tests. That I always say, like it's you're either really wrong or you're really right, but it doesn't translate into business impact. And there's a great study that Meta did around like likes and engagements, etc. They told you if you did really well or really wrong, but they didn't actually translate into that. So spending time, understanding how you're measuring this is really critical. It should not be follow account. It should be the relationship, the purpose of that talent lined up against you because I can tell you can have a tiny talent and they will sell more of your product or do more for your product than a big talent that doesn't really resonate with you. So I think the vanity metrics are very comfortable at, the, at first because you're like probably trying to put it on an excel yeah, sheet convince yeah, yeah, yeah. your CFO you're that, spending and that's half, money. The, half
0: the job isn't it convincing a CFO oh, oh they've got a million yes. followers I promise reach like yeah. turn it into
4: reach really it's, it's not that anymore well thank you very thank much you for so joining much, the performance
0: marketing podcast thank you very much for listening everyone I hope you have enjoyed our can versus machine coverage
1: and do read performance marketing world.com every day because we have even more final coverage on the Monday and Tuesday and I have written a blog every day at Canline roaming up and down the closet giving my view of of the biggest things you need to know about the festival from a performance marketing point of view
0: if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to like follow, subscribe and leave us a review and join us next time thank you very much goodbye
1: bye